know me. Um, <clears throat> my name is Fred Tippins, and so I'm not the not the pastor here. Um, I am maybe a type of preacher, but not necessarily a preacher from the pulpit. Um, so it's nice to be in a church that where we can send our pastor on vacation. You know, some pastors can't go on vacation because their congregation is too busy sipping milk and need their diapers changed all the time, and they don't get to go on vacation. So it's nice to be in a church with some mature believers who can send their pastor on vacation. Um, we're going to look at two different sections of Scripture, and this is this is going to be pretty complex, but uh, I believe it to be the, the, the Word of, of God for us tonight. Um, we're going to look at some sections in Re, uh, Genesis and Revelation. We like to talk a lot at Walridge Baptist Church about context, and we like to talk about the context of the section of Scripture that we're looking at, who wrote the book, whose pen penned it down. We know the Holy Spirit wrote the book. Um, and who it was written to, what was going on in real history at the time that it was written, and what was to come about from it if it was a prophecy. And so we're going to look at context. We're going to look at some scripture from early Genesis and late in Revelation, and we're going to take the context of the entirety of the scripture for each section of the scripture and each book of the scripture looks back to what happened in early Genesis and looks forward to what's coming at the end of at the end of history, with the with the um with with the devil being cast into the lake of fire, for example. So we're going to look at the overall context. The book is divinely written. The, the the whole book is divinely written. The books are not out of order. And Genesis happens first for a reason. Revelation happens last for a reason. And so we're going to look at these things. Um, I pray that you would turn to uh, Genesis chapter three, please. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to read a considerable amount of Scripture, but not that much Scripture. Um, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, whenever you get there, if it, if it uh, you can, please stand. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said... Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, I want to stop right there real quick and just tell you, don't ever talk to the devil. That was the mistake, is she talked to the devil. Okay, so you do whatever you got to do. You pray down a firewall protection around you. You call upon angels to to help you. You quote scripture out loud. You read your Bible, whatever you got to do, but do not talk to the devil. That was the mistake. Uh, Verse 2, and the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the tree that it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also under her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? 
Holy, righteous Father God, please give me words to say, Lord God, and fill me with your Holy Spirit, God. I pray that your Spirit would illuminate each one of these here and uh, give them the message that you would have them to hear. Please remove any error from whatever I'm about to say, Lord God. And uh, please help each one of these to grow and to learn from these sections of Scripture. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Thank you. Uh, so look at verse 6 with me. Verse 6 is, uh, the woman, and the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and that it was to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her, her husband with her, and he did eat. Uh, the devil's, this is the devil's three-point sermon. This is his three-point sermon for you and for anyone who would listen to him and speak with him. Uh, the threefold attack of Satan was astonishingly comprehensive in nature. She saw that it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and that it was, and that it was to make one wise. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So the, the woman, she's not called Eve yet at this point. The woman is... Uh, Adam names her short right after this. Adam names her Eve. Um, she saw that it was good for food. John calls this the lust of the flesh. And pleasant to the eyes. John calls this the lust of the eyes. And was desired to make one wise. John calls this the pride of life. In uh, Genesis 3.9, Holy God asks, where art thou? And this is uh, fairly common of divine revelations that point to the coming of the Lord in judgment. The Lord will show up uh, in, in sundry times in diverse manners, often by a prophet. And the Lord will either start asking the prophet questions or give the que give the questions to the prophet to start asking Israel. So this is this is fairly common of, of how the Lord begins to show that He's going to reveal sin in national Israel. And, and indeed, the Holy Spirit does the same thing to us. Hey, what you looking at? Right? What are you thinking about? What are you planning on eating? You know? Right? What did you, what did you say to your, your coworker that would elevate you above them and giving you the pride of life? Right? So, uh, John 1 5 says, and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. And indeed, the greatest light that ever shone in the darkness was Jesus Christ when he came and, uh, and he did indeed come come in judgment and comes to judge the world. Um, God knows your sin. Uh, be sure your sin will find you out. Um, because of this unholy union, unholy union that takes place in his early creation, as God shows in the first several verses of Genesis 3, all parties involved are cursed of God and further condemned to death. A four-part judgment is pronounced upon each one of the parties. And if you want to say it's a three-part judgment with, a, you know, part two, subpart A and B. I'm not going to hard quibble you with you about that much. Often judgments come in in a fourfold or 
or four four ways are revealed, such as the four chariots in Zechariah, um, as just an example. Um, so look at the magnitude of the curse. And we didn't read these verses, but we'll look down at verse 14. Genesis 3, verse 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Verse 16. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto the man, unto Adam he said in verse 17, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Satan is cursed above all cattle and above every beast. Upon his belly he has to go, eating the dust of the earth. He's at enmity and constant war with the seed of the woman, and ultimately, amen, to be crushed under Christ's heel. The woman has great sorrow, pain and sorrow in conception and childbirth, and in yearning and need of a provider husband and subject unto that man. The man, Adam, has sorrow in eating, simply reaching out and just grabbing the fruit, Provided by God, the manna in the garden, the fruit of the trees and eating it, those days are gone. And he has to work the plague of thorns and thistles, which is injury from work and harm that can happen to us. And sweat and toil for food and provision. And, of course, returning to the dust from whence, from whence we were taken, and that is death. Truly, these are the wages of sin. And you see the magnitude of the curse. And all the earth is cursed. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and so death by sin, uh, excuse me, so wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We're all born into this. I don't like it. You know, this is not my home. 100%. First time I read that in the Bible, I was like, ding, ding. I get it. <laughs> this is not my home. You know, I don't necessarily like it here. Some people get on okay. I don't get on yet. You know, so... um you know, I get it. You know, this, this, we're all born into this curse. It affects all of us. It affects everything we do and all that we do and even who we are. Um, the abuse, the abuse of liberty and free will by Adam and Eve is what is so stunning on their part. You know, they lived in holy communion with God and perfect, in perfect fellowship with God. They were friends with God and he provided all they need. They had dominion over the earth to rule and reign with God. Over the, over God's creation. And they, they lost all of that. They lost all of that when they sinned. Um, you know, the, the, the complexity of the, of the curse and the judgment against all the earth is, you know, we used to, I was in the military for a number of years and we called this a multivaried, highly complex problem that no one can solve on their own. You know, and I, I, you know, I would ask the work salvation people, how are you going to fix this on your own? 
What do you, I mean, seriously. In all seriousness, how can you solve this problem on your own? Uh, turn to the book of Revelation chapter 20, please, and we're going to look at another section of Scripture. So this is the curse. Genesis chapter 3. Turn to Revelation chapter 20. We're going to start around verse 10, I guess, somewhere. So the very ground is cursed. Um, you know, the problem is you're a sinner. That's the problem, is that you're a sinner. Um, for there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good, and sinneth not, Ecclesiastes uh, 7.20 says. So you can be a good man, you can be a just man, you can do good things, you can give to charity, you can come to church, but you're still a sinner. Uh, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we'll start around verse 10, and it might sound like in verse 10 that um, that in the context, the way um, I'm delivering this, that um, this is solely an answer what what's about to happen to the beast. The devil is solely an answer to what happens in the garden, but it's not. So prior to this, the devil is um, released from prison for a short season, and he has he has uh, he has deceived the nations at this point in the in the text of the of the narrative of the of the book of Revelation in verse twenty. So this certainly is in answer to the fullness of the curse on all the earth, but it's also an answer in the narrower context of what's specifically happening in this section of Scripture where the devil has been released for a season to deceive the nations. Verse 10, Revelation 20 and verse 10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works, and death. And hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. In verse 14 it says, this is the second death. Hebrews 9.27 says, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So if you die in your sin, you will stand before the throne of Holy God Almighty for your sin. And you will be judged out of the book of your works. And when you are found guilty, and you are because of the curse of the sin that is in all the world, and your sin, which you have committed against holy God, you will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever to burn for all eternity with your pal the devil. So, still the question remains, how are you going to work your way out of that? Now, what are you going to do? You're going to give some clothes to the goodwill? Some checking that box will get you into heaven? I mean, look at the curse. Look at the consequences. Uh, you know, you're going to work at the food bank one Saturday a month. Think that'll get it done. Um, you know, I want you to give out food and I give clothes over to the goodwill. You know, you're going to join a church, give out tracts. You know, I go to church. I give out tracts. That ain't going to get anybody into heaven, though. It's not going to get me into heaven. Uh, you know, it's, it's blasphemy to think that you can somehow solve this problem under your own merit and your own power. It's blasphemy against the Christ who died on the cross. It really is. Uh, there's a there's a legal term called prima facie, which means um, 
which means at face value or on its face, which means that something is readily apparent or obvious. When I was growing up, if someone said something really obvious, we would all say, duh. And so, you know, the fact that you can't work your way out of this mess, duh. You know, I mean, I, I have I even shared, you know, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 yet? Or Romans 6, 23 about gifts and works? No. I mean, it's obvious on its face, the magnitude of the curse and the problem that we face in the world. We've seen the completeness and, and, and hopelessness of the judgment for sin that we're all under in Genesis 3 and God's final wrath for that sin in Revelation 20. Beyond that, we've seen the complete destruction of any attempt to claim works as your way out of this predicament. You know, what are you going to do about it? How can you fix it? The question is, how can you be found not guilty? That's the question. Um, you know, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. The Bible uses some some fancy $10 words, such as imputed. Maybe imputed is a $5 word for you. I don't know. Propitiation, that's a $10 word. I mean, I can't, I'm not even going to try to fully explain the import and what all those words entail, but I know two little words. Two little words, brother Ken, but God. <laughs> but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Uh, it says in it says in that section of scripture, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we have now received the atonement. And atonement means to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood is the atonement for our sin, for the curse of the whole world. If you read Revolution, if you read Revelation, the entire curse of Genesis is answered by the Christ in Revelation and comes to completion. Um so the atonement is the blood of Jesus Christ. Reconciled means to be brought back into the family of God, to have fellowship again with God, to walk in, in peace and love with God and to be his friend. So you can be reconciled having received the atonement of God. Um, being saved by his life doesn't mean that you can be saved by living as Jesus did. You're not holy. You're not perfect. You're not sinless. There you are trying to work your way into heaven again. Saved by his life means you can be saved by the fact of his life, by the fact that the only begotten son was born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross to save your soul and was buried and rose again the third day, overcoming sin and wrath and death and hell. If you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you too can overcome the curse and the judgment of the curse and come into eternal life with the Lord God and have a final home in heaven with Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So there's your imputation. That one I'll give you for free. Propitiation you got to pay your preacher for. <laughs> but I'll give, you, I'll give you imputation for free. So not only did Jesus die for your sins, not only can he save you from your sins, but he became your sin so that you might be made the righteousness of God in him. And those two words in him are very important. Not in yourself, not in your works, not in anything you can do. You must be in 
Christ in order to be saved, having eternal life and a final home in heaven with Him. Um, so is the atonement the sweat of your own brow and your own works? Your own, your own doing good? Not a chance. The atonement is the blood of Jesus Christ. Trying to atone for yourself is works salvation. It can't be done. Not by anybody. No way, no how. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness under the devil's three-point sermon outline. He was tempted by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And um, I, will, I don't have time to go into that and to lay it out for you. Um, I would encourage you to study it yourself from Genesis 3 and look at 1 John 2. And um, in Matthew 3, John the Baptist suffered Jesus to, to baptize him so they would both be obedient to Father God. As soon as Jesus came up out of the water, he was taken in the wilderness by the devil and tempted under the same three-point plan, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And I would encourage you to, to study that out for yourself. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And we like that. You know, he he was hungry. He hungered. And he had no place to lay his head. You know, he knows. God not only uh, knows what it's like to, to, to live here and how difficult it is, but he has experienced it too. Um, the rest of the verse goes on to say, Hebrews 4.15 but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Amen. So Jesus withstood the temptation where Adam and Eve could not. Jesus withstands the temptation where you cannot. Where your works fail and your power fails and your own efforts fail. Perfect. Holy Jesus Christ never, ever not only did Jesus withstand Satan's thorough attack, but he also kept the whole law perfectly. So the Ten Commandments is not only a static set of commands. It is the topic headers. It is the outline. It's the table of contents for the entirety of the law. The rest of the law falls under at least one of those ten, at least one of those ten commandments. And Jesus kept all the Ten Commandments to the letter of the law perfectly, but he also kept the intent and the spirit of the law. When he healed the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees were mad at him. The man with the withered hand, it was the Sabbath. He couldn't come into the rest of God. He couldn't come into the love of God. He couldn't have the peace and love of God because of the malady that he had. And Jesus healed him so that he too could come into the Sabbath. And the Bible says shortly after that, you know, Jesus says that there's no good work that is against the law. Um, so, you know, this is something similar we do when we hand out tracts and we share the gospel and we witness to people. We are offering for them to come into the peace and the rest of God as Jesus did and to know him and to have fellowship with him and to walk with God in the cool of the day again. Right. So this is this is what we're doing when we try to share the gospel in a manner of speaking. He kept the law so perfectly that it, when, came, when it came time for the final sacrifice, he didn't go get a sheep. He sacrificed his own perfect holy blood. Blood is from the Father. He has the perfect blood of God. Spilled it on the cross for you. For indeed the whole earth is cursed. What else could suffice but the blood of the only Son of God in order to solve the curse? Jesus gave himself for you. Uh, Hebrews 10.4 For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. 
In Romans 3.20, therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. You can't save yourself. Only Jesus can save you. It's not by works. It's not by works at all. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. That's Acts 4.12. Titus 3.3 says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice, hateful, and hating one another. You know, the, 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 the sin, the sin of the eyes and the sin of the flesh and the sin of the, of the, of the, uh, you know, pride of life to try to elevate yourself above your fellows. You know, the, 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 the preachers on TV have the same three point sermon outline as the devil does. You know, they say, if you send me $20, you can have any, anything you want if you send me $20. You know, that's the lust of the flesh. Look at me, look at my pretty teeth and how beautiful my family is. You can be like me. The lust of the eyes. Can? <laughs> right? And, uh, if you send, if you send me $20, you'll be elevated above all those dumb sinners who don't send me $20. And you can have the pride of life and be elevated above all them. It's the, it's the devil. Same three point sermon outline. Uh, so when you stand in judgment for your sin, you know, it's complete and nothing will ever fix it. Nothing you can do will fix it. When you stand in judgment for your sin, you know, I say that. We go witnessing. We, we share the gospel. We say, you know, you're going to stand before the throne of God uh, in judgment and you'll be judged, but they won't be standing anywhere. They're going to be flat on their face, prostrate, terrified, half to death. They won't be able to look upon the thrice holy Christ of God in any way at all. Um you know, that's just a, it's just a judicial term to say you're gonna, gonna stand in judgment before the throne of holy God. You know, you either will fear God now, or you will fear God then, but you will fear God. But after that, and this is the thing, you know, all the sin, all the sins I did, and all the, and all the sins you did, and wicked, despicable, and terrible things I did, you know, and, and I look back on it and I'm glad that the Lord has slowly removed the, the guilt and the shame and the sorrow for doing, for doing the things that we do, you know, and He does that. He takes it away, you know. He begins to recreate us and make us into a, a new man. And, and we put on a new man and the old man, we, we put, we put him off, you know, and we have to be involved in that. We have to die daily too. Um, Titus says, you know, after all those sins and everything that we did, but after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared unto men. <laughs> that might be misquoted. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. It took me a while to get that sentence figured out the first time I read it. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified by his grace, we shall be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Renewing of the Holy Ghost means to be saved by Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost comes into you, like I just said, begins to recreate you and make you a new person, give you a new heart and new desires, new things you want to do, the desire to serve Holy Father God and to do works in the kingdom of God for him, for his glory, not your glory, not your atonement for him and his glory. Uh, 
The washing of regeneration is another term for covering of the blood of Jesus Christ. To be regenerated is the same concept, to be recreated and remade, to be made into a little Christ, which is what one way to say a Christian is a, a literal translation is a little Christ, to be made into a little Christ. So um, you can be, we are justified by his grace and made joint heirs in the kingdom of God. And so he is, the, he is in a sense, uh, the eldest brother being the first raised from the dead, for he was raised from the dead before the foundation of the world, right? And so he's not a created being, but he was the first raised from the dead for sure. And when we are, when we are come into eternal life with him and raised up, being sealed under the day of redemption, we too will be joint heirs in the kingdom of God according to the hope of eternal life. Whoever's going to play the piano, I guess Connie's going to play the piano. That went pretty quick. You guys listen pretty fast. So it's not by works. It's kindness and love of God. You can you can start playing anytime. It's kindness and love of God. He is our Savior. It's not by works of righteousness. It's regeneration, renewing, being justified, which means to be forgiven. It's by His grace. We can be made heirs, made heirs, not through our efforts, made by God into heirs to have hope and eternal life. This truly is the gift of God. This truly is the gift of God. And God asked, God asked in the garden, He asked Adam and Eve, you know, where art thou? So, you know, you can bow your head, you can come up to the altar, do whatever you want to do, um, get right with God. But my question is, you know, whose three-point sermon for your life are you following right now? Do you want your liberty back? Do you want your dominion back that the devil stole from you? Jesus Christ is how you get your liberty back. He's how you get your dominion back that was stolen from you.